It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. At KPMG, our people make the difference. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG, make the difference. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Hello and welcome to the BBC Country Farm magazine podcast. The podcast where we go out on great escapes into the countryside, talk with interesting rural folk and tackle some of the big issues facing the landscapes we all love. This is our second season of podcasts. Don't forget you can catch up on season one, 12 podcasts on the Apple Podcast app, Acast and other podcast providers. My name is Fergus Collins and in this edition I'm talking to Sally Irwin who left her life in a dead-end marketing job in the city to become a farmer in her native Northumberland. She's written an engaging and deeply personal book about her experience, A Farmer's Diary, and I was keen to find out how she had made the transition and some of the challenges and experiences she'd had along the way. And later, she very kindly reads an extract from her book. So, Sally, lovely to talk to you. Um, I've got your book here, A Farmer's Diary. What prompted you to write a book about your life? It, it, well, it, to be honest, I was actually writing a blog and I had about 34 followers. And most of them were my mum and her friends. <laughs> right. And um, I didn't really have anybody else. And I'd, I've been happily tweeting as well and, and writing about things that I thought were really funny or unusual about the farm. And I got a, an email from um, a lady from Profile Books. And I thought it was a scam because she said that she would basically, out of the blue, like me to write her a book. So I went and checked with my local bookshop and they said, no, Profile Books is really respectable. You must, you must send her an email back. So I did, and she came up with her wellies from London, and um, she asked me to write a book. And I was given... I know, it was amazing. It was completely out of the blue. Yeah, Yeah, really. And and I hadn't been writing the blog... I hadn't been writing the blog to get loads of followers. It was just things that I found funny or or different. And you've had... I'm talking about different. You've had a slightly different approach to farming. You've come into farming sort of... Uh, in a roundabout way. Well, tell us about it. I mean, maybe tell us where your farm is and then how, you, how you've ended up there and okay. we can sort of talk about well, my, how... my, my, our, our farm is, is quite diddy. It's 150 acres and it is half a mile from Hadrian's Wall just outside Hexham in a place called Matson. And we farm sheep and arable. So it's, it's a small, mixed family farm, very traditional. And I am not from the background at all. I'm from a little village called Tymouth on the coast in Tyneweir the northeast of England. And I had <laughs> I had the most depressing job in the world. I'd, I'd gone to university and I'd got a job in corporate marketing. 
which I hated. I don't know why I did it, but that's what you were supposed to do. You're supposed to get your degree <laughs> and go and work in the in the city. So I had this job and I was actually having to market um, an insolvency department. So I was having to try and sell um, the services of an accountant to these poor bankrupt businesses. And it, it was terrible. I mean, it was re- this is ridiculous. I thought I'm sick of it. So I, I was looking around for the things and I was also on um, datingdirect.com, which was at the very beginning of the 2000s. So it was it was quite... Um, it was quite the first start of, this, of the online early, dating. Early days of online dating, right? Early so you're a, pi- a pioneer. Say, yeah. yeah okay. Pioneer. So I put in what, and in those days, you could actually say whether you wanted your um, partner to live in the countryside and, and what sort of job he had. So I said I wanted somebody five foot eight, because I'm only <laughs> five foot, just under five foot, uh, and lived and worked in the countryside. And up pops Steve. Wow, and, so, um, so with those criteria, that's quite a good that's Yeah, quite there, a good, were, there uh, were two of them, I remember. Successful. Really? <laughs> one, yeah. and, and Steve looked really blessed him. So we went on a diet, uh, on a date, and um, <laughs> yeah. that was it. After that, we, we, we were together and we got married a year later. That's amazing. So that was my introduction into farming, yeah. So, I mean, I'd quite like to talk about the dating side of things. I'm in not too much detail, but it's quite a big part of rural life these days because it's quite can be quite a lonely existence. And but yeah, I'm, I'm kind yeah. of curious about um, how you approach this whole. So you're living in a kind of urban existence, and you've got an office job, and then suddenly you've got this opportunity, this 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 incredible change of direction. Yeah. How on earth did yeah, you go about I, it? I mean, did you meet? Did you, how, where did you meet on your first date? Well. <laughs> Because I'd always loved the countryside, and I, and I didn't go into dating just to find somebody in the countryside. It was it was more sort of I needed to change my whole life. Um, I think the second date that we had, he was in the middle of lambing, and you know how busy lambing is, yeah, so I had sure. to muck in, and um, it was a really steep learning curve. So from the city, yeah, and Steve had had very solitary life because he we can't obviously afford any farm workers on the farm, so he was on his own a lot. So for me coming in, um, it, w- it was just very new for all of us, I think. But but it was brilliant as well. So your first date was in lambing season. And did you have to get yes, stuck in was. straight away then? Or... Yes. And and I remember the first the, the date I had, I had to go and pick up a couple of lambs that had just been born from the paddock. And I picked these up and managed to get the wrong ewe um, to come into the, the shed with me. And of course, Stephen was really low on sleep and shouted at me. And then we, and, and you know, it worked out fine. You've got to see the funny side of it. But I was absolutely clueless at the time. <laughs> not um, so much now. No, uh, how has it developed? So you've, not from a farming background, but you've got into farming. Um, I also read in your, in your book that you're quite different personalities. That he's, yeah, uh, he's, yeah. He's, Steve, he's... Is, Steve is very calm. He's very methodical. He is quite um, he's introverted, whereas I am exactly the opposite. I tend to rush at things. Um, yeah, it, it, we sort of complement each other, I think. I mean, there have been arguments, obviously, but, but yeah, we sort of, I bring him out and he calms me down a bit. And of course, I bring with me knowledge about marketing and we set up a business we had a brewery so a microbrewery so I was helping him with that so we each brought something to the relationship um but it really had had quite a solitary life before I bounced into his life I think oh, wow so and how have you adapted then I mean obviously your book explains it, all the kind of p- yeah it, it's been ups and downs I, I'm not 
Uh, yeah, I'm not the your usual farmer's wife. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm very little. I'm four foot eleven on a good day. Not particularly strong. I had to find different ways of doing things. Um, I still work outside the house. I have freelance marketing to do. It, it has been a steep learning curve. And when I first started, I thought it would everybody would be like having picnics in hayfields and <laughs> yeah. ginger beer, you know, and mm, and it's not like that yeah. at all. Yeah, exactly. It's not like that at all. We're all squabbling over a packed lunch and sitting on sheep feed bags and stuff. So I had this sort of bucolic vision of what it should be like. And uh, you, you learn how hard work it is and how physical it is as well. And being so little, I know I go on about that, but being so small means I've had to find other ways around things. Um, at the quad bike we had, I couldn't change the gears on it because I couldn't reach the clutch. So we had to get an automatic. Just just little things, you know. Um talking about so you had a bucolic vision and i think a lot of people do look at farming and a lot of non-farmers perhaps some of our readers and listeners who might say oh gosh what a glorious life i must admit when i've interviewed i've interviewed lots of farmers and i always try and tease out for them what it is they enjoy actually about their jobs because it is incredible hard work and money is always tight for many farmers mm-hmm. do, do you do you love the job do you feel like it's um it was the change for the better that you needed yeah, definitely. I, I, I love the countryside. I mean, we're, we're not terribly isolated up here. We're only 25 minutes from Newcastle, but the countryside is beautiful. And uh, I love just being outside and and the wildlife and, and being being able to see that. Also, having children and bringing them up on a farm is magical. And I can open the door and send them out and they've got dens around the farm. And the freedom they have is so different to what I had when I was growing up. And and the animals, having a relationship or developing a relationship with these animals, is I've always been that sort of person. So it is, it's wonderful. It's so different to how I was, say, 20 years ago. And, and it's so much for the better as well. Now, you, you talked about doing some marketing work on the side. How does the farming bit, so it's not a big farm, you said, and it's it's a family farm, is it your your partner's? Yes, so, yes, it's my, my husband inherited it, yeah, yeah. Um, so presumably you're having to do some little bit, you're doing some extras on the side to, to make yeah, ends meet. Yeah, I mean, right? it, yeah, you know, you know how difficult it is to make money in farming and we're so small that Steve and I have both had to take jobs off the farm so I do a bit of freelance writing and marketing and I work from home because we've got a fairly decent wi-fi connection and Stephen has has tried to find a a job that fits in with the farm work that he does but we're sort of a catch-22 situation the farm is too small to support a family but then it's too big for somebody to also have a part-time job off the farm so Stephen, um, he, he, he really does. He works till two o'clock in the morning, especially during harvest time and lambing time. And then in the past, he would go out and, and try and do an office job. And it, it is hard because you, you, you don't want to sell up, but we're just trying to make a living and trying to make ends meet. And I think that's what I talked about in the book, that we live in quite an affluent area, but people don't realise how hard it is to just keep our heads above water, really. Sure, because the, the income from a small amount of land like that isn't going to, you know, yeah, in this day exactly. and age, it's not going to come. Yeah. Is, that, is that similar? Are there lots of other small family farms around in that part of not, the UK? Not really. No, not really. The, the, the farms around us tend to be owned by big estates and they're all rented out. And the size of farms tend to be around about, I've always said that I think 
um, people might find this differently, to, but, but to make money, you've got to have sort of 300, 400 acres to be able to, to have a family on the farm. Um, 150 really isn't very big. But we diversified. You know, the call was for farmers to diversify, so we did. We took out a gigantic mortgage and built a microbrewery and visitor centre. And it did really well. But again, you can't you can't run a farm properly and look after something which needed you to be there till two in the morning for all of the weddings. And so we sold that business, although we still got the, the buildings and that provides an income. But you've got to always look for the next thing, the next thing, just just to make sure that there is something still to hand on to your to your children. Because farming, there just isn't the money in it. Not not nowadays, anyway. Sure, sure. I mean, obviously, writing books will help, maybe. <laughs> and um, yeah, but, uh, yes, definitely. Yes, it does. Yeah. Something I noticed in your book. I mean, you you're a woman in a farming is quite a macho world still. I know there are lots of champion women farmers, um, but it's still quite a, a blokey male dominated. How do you yeah. cope with that? And what would your message be to other women who want to get into farming who are, who are struggling with some of that stuff? I, I think I represent your average woman. You know, I'm not particularly athletic or tall or, or sporty or whatever. Just do it. If I can do it, <laughs> I'm a middle-aged yeah. mother of two, four foot eleven, get yourself <laughs> out there and do it. But there is there is quite a macho. Going to the mart is all a bit scary, hex and mart, but everybody's been very nice. Mm. I tend to just talk to people until they either walk away or <laughs> or talk back, you know. And, and I think if you're open about things and you're saying, oh, we're having a really bad time at the moment or, or whatever, then people warm to you and they will talk to you. Uh, especially the older generation don't tend to, they don't see a lot of women farmers. You, you might get a bit of um, teasing about it. But, yeah, just get on with it. And if I, think, I can do it, anybody can. I think it was the bit where you, you have farmers coming to you and saying, I'd like to. Where, where's the farmer? And you're saying, I'm the oh, farmer. I'm <laughs> the farmer. Yes, yeah. please. And they're I still, am, still, really. still looking over your shoulder for the farmer. For, for, yeah, exactly. Because I, I don't look, yeah, and I don't look like one. Um, but you've got to see it with a sense of humour. You know, it's funny. People come up to me and, and the salesman, the feed salesman, that they ask where my husband is. And you say, no, you can talk to me. You know, I, I, I know what I'm talking about, but they're still a bit iffy about it. You've just got to see it with it. The, the, the life is changing and the more women farmers there are out there and there are some amazing ones, then it will change even further. You've just got to keep going. Yeah, was that quite a step change coming from um, sort of Tyneside from Newcastle? That's a, very, a step change to go from sort of urban attitudes, which can be a little bit more relaxed, yeah. a bit more... Yeah. To, to, and the, the yeah, you know... Yeah, I was I was working in a corporate firm, HR policies, all that kind of thing. Very stressful, um, lots of meetings and what have you. And then to come to a, a completely different industry. But you can bring skills across, you know, how to speak to people and how to do sales and how to do marketing and things like that. You can sort of, what's it called, transferable skills. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's amazing what you're capable of. I mean, we've just finished lambing. And uh, me and my husband have done it between us. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I'd never thought I'd have been able to do that. But you just do it. You get out and you do it. And we've been all right this year. So. Brilliant. I mean, if you, I mean, you've obviously learned a lot and has had a lot of amazing experiences. If you could go back to your younger self 20 years ago when you were working in that and I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting to what would you say to, to them? What advice would you give your former self? And I'm kind of suggesting that you're, you're talking to sort of 
lots of young women yeah. in that situation. You feel a bit trapped in yeah. sort of slightly boring think, corporate jobs, but want something yeah. better in life. What would you say? Yeah, I think I was quite academic. And I think in those days we were quite pushed into university. And, and, and I would say to myself, you don't have to do that. Just because you're good at that doesn't mean that you'll enjoy it. Don't don't feel that you have to fit into that society and have to compete with your peers for, for money and, and status and all the rest of it. Because I'm not that sort of personality. That's not me at all. And I wish in a way that university was great, but I wish I'd taken a year out beforehand and gone and worked in the countryside, gone and worked with horses or, or on a farm because I love it. And but school was very much they sort of funnel you in, don't they, to mm. to what they think you should do. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so maybe it wasn't their fault. And I just sort of fell into marketing. But yeah, don't do something because people say you have to. That's right. what I'd say. I think experiment a bit and uh... yeah, yeah, go and grow up a bit and go and work on a farm. Do a couple of seasons of lambing. That'll make you grow up a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, give you some skills. But um, you talk a lot about local characters in the book. Um, but you've changed their names. How yeah. how do you write honestly about? Because I, I I live in the countryside and I I avoid writing blogs or, and things about my life, even though I've got so many good stories. Because I don't want to upset or offend anyone, even no, though it's all meant right. it's all yeah. meant generously. But it, it's obviously some people do do crazy things or say appalling things, and you think, gosh. And I bet you've got so many good stories and you're dying to tell them, but you yeah. can't, obviously, because yeah. it'll upset people. Yeah. So, so yeah. You're, you're obviously embedded in this community and people are going to recognise themselves and perhaps one or two of them maybe, you know, maybe less yeah. favourably or might, might sort of take offence. How, how do you equate that? Well, um, I have a very good set of publishers <laughs> who have told me not to worry, but also um, I would say 90, 90% of the people in the book I got agreement with first. So all of the contractors, everybody, and, you know, I went to them, the accountant, everybody, and said, can I put you in? And they were like, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> like massively enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody, the people that, obviously, I write about, they're very heavily disguised, very heavily disguised, because I really don't want to upset anyone. And um, being in a small community, everybody knows everybody. And people have come up to me and said, who actually is this? And of course, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say. Everything's very disguised, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the trouble because I, th- I think that's a in- big insight into local com- rural communities is that a lot of people don't realise that. Yeah. Exactly. What, what you know, what, how funny people are out there and the stories that you have. But I, I don't want to upset anyone because that's not, and I, I'm not there to laugh at somebody's lifestyle. God, you should see mine, you know. <laughs> I think that's the thing. If you put your own out there, yeah. then everyone else is fair game as well. But um, yeah, exactly. I, I think for me, moving from I moved from the countryside to the city and then back to the countryside, and having lived in the city for twenty years, you sort of have an, an anonymity. When you go to the countryside, you are very much, even if you don't think you're being talked about. Um, people notice oh, how many are. cars are visiting yeah. your house and who's you know, yeah. when the lights on. And farmers, yeah. yeah, and when you're not there, and farmers drive past. I mean, and people are noticed your new tractor or how you've ploughed a field, or yeah. you know, everybody knows everything about you, and and that's good, and it, it's also not so good. But that's the community we live in, yeah. and the pub, and the shop, and the school. You know, you sort of grow up with those with, with the people. So you, I don't want to upset them. I don't want them to throw rocks at me <laughs> in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's important. Yeah. Um, what's your next challenge then? What do you What are you going to do? You've written this book, and um, it's obviously it's going to delight people. It's going to 
give people an insight into your life. Do you have other 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 books in there, or are you going to? Yeah, other, yeah. Other plans? I, 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 first thing I've got to do is I've got a month or so of book signings, and I'm taking a lamb, which my husband's slightly mortified about a lamb on a piece of string. Um, me and my pet lamb Mabel are going to go to these book signings, and I'll be doing that. Is that your market, marketeer that, coming through there? Yes, it is. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah, um, Mabel has to wear a nappy, so it's all a bit embarrassing. But anyway, that's what we're going to do. And then, um, yes, I have an agent, and we are thinking about a second book, but I've got to write it first. So there's that, and of course, then there's farm work as well. So that's continuing. We've only just finished lambing, so. Um, yeah, it has been mega, mega busy, but good as well. Just a bit frantic. But overall, the farming life is a is a good life, and you're happy to have made the change. So. Very much so. And and yes, we might have not much money, and it can be stressful, and it can be anxiety making. But I'm hundred percent happy in the choices that we've made, and the fact that we're out here. Yeah, and uh, yes, no, I enjoy it, and and I also find lots of it really quite funny as well so yeah that's me and a huge thanks to sally for finding time in her busy farming life to talk to me and before i go here's sally reading a diary extract from her book a farmer's diary saturday the 21st of october we have a sheep called scabby you she has an undershot jaw called a shuttle gob in the local dialect meaning her bottom teeth don't meet her upper palate so she finds it very difficult to chew hay or grass She and her flock have been out in the field the whole summer, but Scabby can't chew the pasture well enough, so she's very, very skinny. Inevitably, Ben has adopted her as his most favourite pet ever in the whole world. When we tried to persuade him that one of the healthier, cuter sheep would make a much nicer pet, he was adamant that Scabby was his favourite ewe, even though she looks like a toast rack on legs. Due to her jaw deformity, she's never going to be able to keep on enough weight like the other sheep. Some farmers would have her put down, but the kids have a minor meltdown when this is mentioned. She did manage to raise one lamb last year, just. It was a bit touch and go, but we carefully siphoned in lots of extra sheep nuts so that she was able to make enough milk for her single baby. All farmers have the odd mangy sheep that they normally put them in the back fields, well away from the road so that no one can spot them and judge their stock keeping. Poke around any farm and you'll eventually come across some cheerful threadbare animal living the life of Riley in a tucked away stable. Scabby is ridiculously tame and will happily follow you around the farmyard. Whatever I'm doing on the farm, Scabby is beside me, usually with her nose in my pocket on the scrounge for extra food. She also has a rather nice fluffy bit between her ears where she enjoys a good head scratch. So I think she's destined to become a field ornament, just like Button, the undersized lamb, and last year's blind sheep, which had some kind of brain problem and couldn't see anything. Blind sheep used to graze quietly in the paddock until he suddenly realised that he couldn't hear any of his sheepy friends. Then he would run urgently round and round in circles until he heard one of his flock and bobble unsteadily after them. At night time, he used to cuddle up next to an elderly ewe that didn't mind his heavy breathing and general dimness. Eventually, these elderly pets die of old age and Steve breathes a sigh of relief until the next slamming season brings along another few decrepit characters. That was Sally Irwin reading from her new book, A Farmer's Diary, A Year at High House Farm, which is published by Profile Books. This has been a podcast for BBC Country Farm magazine. As ever, you can find a host of other podcasts on Acast, iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. 
and discover loads more about the British countryside at our website, countryfile.com. Until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.